Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. Before we get into the Steve Babblejack interview, I actually wanted to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. PicDrop's a really great tool for whenever you need to send off your files to your clients or whoever you're working with. You can actually create private galleries, different folders for whatever various assignments you're working on. And your clients can actually write notes on the photos you sent to them and rate them. It's just a really easy way to organize all your files in one spot. I've been using it for a few months now and really enjoy it. Um, for years, for years I was using like Dropbox and WeTransfer and things like that. But with uh, PicDrop, it's actually designed by photographers, so they really understand what photographers need um, so I can't, really can't say enough about it and actually with today's podcast if you enter the promo code uh, photo banter when you sign up at pickdrop.com you're going to get three months free of the pickdrop image transfer tool so definitely go check it out and let me know what you guys think and remember to enter the promo code photo banter and you'll get three months free when you sign up at pickdrop.com without further ado we'll get into the Steve Babblejack interview here welcome back to the photo banter podcast I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with photographer Steve Babblejack. Steve is a lifestyle advertising and editorial photographer based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, He kind of got his start as a photojournalist working for the newspapers around the country. Um, So it's a really interesting interview kind of hearing him kind of make the transition from photojournalist into getting into more uh, corporate advertising work and editorial. Um, He's done work for clients such as Lacey Hard Drives, which all those photographers have used for years um pg and e um, fannie mae foundation chevron and um, much much more clients he, he's worked for a lot of edu- educational clients and um there's a lot of different things he's kind of done over the course of his career uh, it was a really interesting interview he has real enthusiasm for what he does um, so i hope you guys enjoy it and thanks so much for listening All right, well, Steve Babblejack, welcome to the podcast. Uh, how you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for uh, letting me join the ranks of your uh, many great podcasters on here. It's a real privilege. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, I was excited to talk to you. I talked to you, I think, what, maybe like a month or so ago. It's just been kind of interesting kind of meeting all these different people around the country just from the podcast, so I was kind of excited to talk to you more about how you kind of got into photography um, but I guess to start off, I was kind of curious, like where you grew up and like how you kind of got into photography initially, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was born in Miami, uh, immigrant parents that came to Ellis Island, New York, and eventually settled down to Florida. And then when I was five, we moved out to California and I grew up in Oakland and went to all Oakland public schools. And, um, you know, I remember my grandmother with her 110 camera or the 220, whatever those sideways, what the little rectangle cameras were. And, yeah. I never really thought of photography really until, um, gosh, I think I was uh, even out of out of high school. I always had cheap little crappy little point and shoot plastic cameras, and was always super disappointed in the results. And um, and then I was on a a volunteer like uh, construction trip, and uh, in Africa of all places, and someone had a cool SLR. And, uh, I was like, what is, oh, this is, looks cool. Tell me about this thing. And, um, they showed me how you control it and filters and lenses. And they gave me this, 
uh, I think it was Popular Photography's Big Book of Photography magazine, and I read it cover to cover Damn. on the plane back. Even all the ads, I looked at the B and H. Like they used to list all their gear and prices. And yeah, I was just fascinated, and I landed back in you know America, just like hooked. Like oh, I got to learn more about photography. But yeah, Oakland was my home, and uh, that's where I did all my schooling too. And um, nice. Uh, what do you end up yeah. like? What do you end up getting into? Like, did you end up going to college? Did, did you study photography, or what did you kind of do after high school? Yeah, so I went to junior college initially, and uh, lived with a bunch of guys, friends of mine, in a big house, and we just sort of like were working part time jobs, and you know, I was still tooling around with little cheap cameras, and um, ended up uh, after this trip, I came back and I had one more year of junior college. And went to Laney, you know, community college and they had a black and white class. And I took that and, you know, just traditional black and white darkroom stuff. And I was just borrowed my uncle's Canon AT1 and I uh, was, saw that first print come up eight by 10. And I was just like, oh, this is fantastic. But it was just kind of in the back of my head, like, oh, this is just a fun hobby. Mm. Um, I knew some friends that were artists and I just thought, oh man, they, they, their lives just struggle. I would never want to do that or that's foolish. And then I uh, was going to become an elementary school teacher and went to San Diego State um, to do that. But after one semester, I was still using the camera for like shooting my friends. And I realized, oh, I think I really like photography more than wanting to like uh, be a teacher. So I, I transferred out, came back home, saved up some money and then went to San Francisco State and applied actually as an art major because I thought that's what photography yeah. was. It was an art class. Yeah. And once I was there I saw, I was in registration and I saw like a flyer for the photojournalism program that SS State had. And it was this cool candlelight vigil photo on the front. I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of photos I like to take. And mm. um, immediately transferred uh, into photojournalism as a junior at SS State. And uh, that totally formed and shaped me as a photographer. And I um, was so thankful for the program that all the, a lot of friends that I made there and the contacts and my professors um specifically ken cobry was like the head of the department and he wrote the textbook on photojournalism for the, like a lot of schools were using it and he sort of mentored me um and kind of gave me told me what internships to take and what to do in my portfolio and mm. you know we had 20 slides back then and uh we would ship those off to photo editors to try to get internships and and then i continued to hop i did like a bunch of internships every summer and the fall what kind of what kind of inter- what kind of internships were you doing? Yeah, all for newspapers. And so, um, you know, I think my first one was like shooting for free at the Oakland Tribune. I went in two days a week, and they like gave me film, and I got to go to A's games and wow. follow photographers around and shoot like little features in town. And um, they weren't really didn't have a big internship program back then. And uh, from there, I uh, got an internship in Dubuque, Iowa, the Telegraph Herald. This was really formative. He had had. Uh, professor had all these relationships with the Telegraph Herald, and there was a photo out there, Mark Hirsch, who just like he just cracked the whip on interns, and he gave us like great assignments and would push us like, you know, just all day long, all week long, and we would get these great, great uh, photo stories published in multiple pages in the newspaper, and it was just just a great experience to be out in the middle of nowhere, small staff, so they really relied on their interns. It wasn't just like oh, go shoot, you know. Mm. these little assignments they really needed us and then from there i went um to the santa fe new mexican and was there for six months and then they kind of uh just extended it so i ended up being there for over a year 
shot as a daily staffer essentially. Oh, so that was like was that, sort of, that was like after mm-hmm. you're done with college. Uh, sort of, yeah, I think that one might have been right after school. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I yeah, and then I had like some part time jobs for like the Country Cross the Times had a bunch of weekly newspapers in the Bay Area wow. that I was uh, working for them. Um, and then I had another internship way out in Maryland with the Tuxent Publishing Company. They had like thirteen tabloid size newspapers out there that did these beautiful photo essays and spreads on like really community journalism. Mm. You know, we weren't doing big city hardcore news, even though occasionally, you know, you'd get a fire or some big like, mm. you know, um, funeral or a big sporting event occasionally. But a lot of times I was shooting high school Friday night football and I was lighting up basketball gyms with my Vivitar 285s and quantum batteries. (laughs) This is before radio slaves. So I was hardwiring these Vivitars with like household extension cords because I didn't have any money to buy like even the the wine transmitters. I was doing it all old school, shooting Fuji 800, you know, with my Nikon and um, damn just squeezing out enough light we can. Friday Night Football was rough. That was hard to do with, uh, you know, on film back then with your little pop-up flash. And yeah. sometimes I'd get a 300 weight, but um, a lot of times it was just my 7200. It's still even um, hard now. Like, I've been, I was shooting baseball all summer, and, like, it's this, like, high school fields I'm shooting at. And I got it cranked. Uh, I got it cranked to, like, 3200 wide open, and it's <laughs> it's, like... It's t- unless you're like at some major league field, but it's still tough even with the digital. Like people say, it's like it is better, but even the I was shooting this yeah this summer, it's, it's still rough. I was shooting those high school fields and stuff. Um, totally, but I think those kinds of experience taught me like under sodium vapor lights. Or I'd walk in the fluorescent buildings. Yeah, you know, I learned to like back then. You know, you gel our strobes to match like the um, the color temperature of the, the room. And uh, I was learning early on. We had some a really cool class at our school at SF State. It was our photo for lighting class, and we like learned all about lighting. Um, even as newspaper photographers, they really wanted us to like, how do you do a good portrait? And I was just always doing these environmental portraits. You know, I wouldn't wouldn't have a lot of time, but like I found some used softbox from a rental house, and then one of my internships had this like I'd always go through all the gear closets when I was at these places. And I'd be like, what is this? Because I didn't have a lot of gear. Mm. And usually they didn't get the interns, like, the best equipment. So I would always just, like, look for, maximize my opportunities there. And I found this old um, Lumidine battery pack. And it, like, wasn't working. And on my last day of my internship, I was like, hey, uh, you guys want this thing? It doesn't seem to work. And I had no idea what I was really looking at. It was this big brick and a little tiny head. And um, they were like, sure, whatever, take it. And then really all it needed was a new battery. And so for a couple hundred bucks, I got this like 400 watt second powered, you know, off camera strobe uh, that I could put into a softbox. And I was shooting portraits this way for my assignments. And they immediately looked so much better than like, you know, just crappy lighting. Because newspapers, you'd run in the middle of the day, you'd have to go shoot, you know, in a portrait. Um, but little did I know that these skills were setting me up to eventually become a commercial photographer. So I really had all my lighting down, at mm. least the rudiments of it. Um, and I had, a, you know, I kept getting bigger stands and then someone let me borrow some Dynalites for a while. And I could, I learned how to shoot in the studio and yeah. uh, anytime I could, I was elevating, you know, the aesthetic, even when I was shooting like very journalistic, candid um, imagery. Yeah. Uh, I always wanted to like pop a light in there somehow. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you kind of come from, like you say, like now you do like commercial and editorial. You started off as a photojournalist. What is it about the photojournalism thing that you enjoyed? Do you think what kind of piqued your interest initially, you think? 
Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think it's really people, you know, drove me. I, um, I'm really fascinated by just connecting with people. It's interesting. I, I grew up as an only child and I learned to like, you know, just play kind of, uh, you know, on my own a lot. And, um, you know, I had friends at school and whatnot, but you know, I didn't have any siblings to play with. And so I think I was always fascinated with like, Oh, there's more people. And we had a kind of a small family too. And, um, I just really always enjoyed like connecting with others and, and really had a lot of curiosity. Uh, my mom would, I would drive her crazy because I always would ask my mom, why, you know, why are we doing this? Why is this? Or why can't I do this? And it didn't seem to have any limits. And so that's how I kind of approached like going up to a place like, Oh, why can't I go talk to the, you know, the, the bull rider at the rodeo or I can't I get in there and like, I want to see his process or uh, whatever the situation was. I just always wanted to like ask people questions and like see what they were seeing or feel what they were seeing. And then with newspapers, you really had to, you know, I had, you have a few minutes to like meet someone, disarm them in a way that's, you know, appropriate and ethical um, and give them a sense of trust that they could trust you, that you could walk into their home or maybe it's at a funeral or maybe you're in like a business meeting or, whatever it was, like you had to like have this intimacy with them within a few minutes and uh, take authentic photos that, you know, were true to them, true to the story, uh, true to your ethics. Um, and I think that just like stuck with me. And even now when I walk down the street, you know, I, when I see something interesting, I want to know this person's name and I want to know what they're about. And it's not just about the photo. It's more about the whole package. And, you know, to me, a great photo is, it can just be on its own, but there's something more when there's a story there or there's some context. Even when I'm working with like professional models and talent, mm. I still want to know something about them. I still want to know what like makes them tick or what they're into or um, kind of tap into their unique personality. I think we've all seen like really good movies um, with really good actors and we've seen those really good actors in really bad movies, you know, and I think it comes down to like, you know, they're, the direction they're being given and, uh, and the roles they're playing. And um, so I kind of think of it in that way a lot of times when I'm like uh, mm. working with professional talent. But that's cool. Kind of a side note. And like, yeah. how long did you work as like a newspaper photographer? Uh, how long did you kind of do that for? Yeah, like I said, that the, a lot of times it was just like a summer internship or fall. Got it. Um, and then the, the, the Santa Fe, New Mexican, that was a full year. And I remember coming back from that. Um, kind of trying to figure out what to do. And I had a few job opportunities. I um, was looking to like, you know, typically in those newspaper roles, it was like one or two years at a paper. Then you go to the next size up, next size up. And you're like trying to like make it to the New York times or the Chicago Tribune or San Francisco Chronicle or something. And uh, my last job offer was for the Palm Spring desert sun. And I was just sort of tired of moving and they flew me down there and like we did the interviews and, um, I just didn't want to live out in the desert and, and grind for a paper again. And so I came back home and, um, started like doing anything I could. Like, I mean, I was just any, any time a photo, someone needed a headshot or an event or a portrait for somebody. Um, I would take any opportunity and I just slowly started building my business. And I wish if I could go back, I wish I had known about like assisting and like, um, that kind of route or PAing because I didn't have any sense of like the commercial world in terms of advertising and editorial work outside of newspapers. And so I just ended up doing like a lot of crappy like photo jobs, which like I was making a living. I was making it work. Um, and then I had a little twist was uh, a friend of mine was like, Hey Steve, you know, we've got this opening at our high school. 
do you want to teach photography to, to high school kids? And I wow. was like, uh, maybe, um, you know, I, I had, there was like a weird credential you could qualify for that was vocationally based, not like as a school credential. Mm-hmm. And um, things were kind of drying up at that time. I uh, wasn't getting as many opportunities as I would have liked. And so I was like, okay, looked into it. And I thought, oh, I can just shoot my like documentary projects during the summer and I'll teach during the year. And so I signed up and interviewed and they, they I had no idea how to like, you know, teach high school kids, but um, I knew I liked my photo education and they like gave me a classroom, gave me some keys and, and like, you know, in the fall, September, I had 135 kids showing up, you know, five classes, three times, um, yeah, five classes, 30, you know, 30 something kids in each class and wow. kind of made up, made up a curriculum. They had a dark room, they had a studio, um, and a computer lab and, basically taught the first semester of film photography and the second semester was digital. Yeah. Um, and I did that for five years and thinking that, uh, all oh, the summers I would do these projects, but I was so wiped out from, uh, photography. teaching every year that by the time June came, I was like, <laughs> I don't care about anybody, any issue. I just want to like hibernate and, uh, gear up for the fall. So, yeah. um, yeah. So that was kind of the transition out of newspapers, which was good timing because, the newspaper world, all my friends started losing their jobs. Like mm-hmm. it was so sad. And it was during that time. So I'm glad I, I got out when I did, but yeah. Um, what do you kind of do? Like, how do you, cause it's kind of interesting. Like, yeah, like, like you say, you're like a photojournalist and then like I say, you're doing like commercial editorial stuff. When did that kind of start coming into play for you? Was that something you always wanted to do or how do you kind of make that transition? I guess. Yeah. Good question. I uh, really had no idea of that world. And, um, about halfway through my teaching career, um, a friend of mine who is a musician, singer, songwriter, I would always photograph her band. And like, I, she was like probably the person I'd photographed the most because they would like keep coming up with these albums and I would keep shooting them and I, we would try different techniques. Um, and she had this cousin um, that was a commercial mo- lifestyle model named Libby Lopez. And I, uh, she like posted something on Facebook, like, hey, sorry, I can't come to your show, Shannon. And then I kind of like, well, who's this Libby Lopez? It's your cousin. And I found out she was this commercial model. And I didn't even know that there were models out there that weren't fashion models. And Libby was this amazing lifestyle model that could like smile on a dime and like do her own hair and wardrobe. And she had her own shoot concepts. And Mm -hmm. so like when I connected with her, she was like, oh yeah, we're going to go up to the mountains. We're going to do the snowboarding thing. I'm going to have all the clothes. I know the people at the lodge and we're going to like shoot here and here and here. And I was like, okay. She's a producer. And, um, yeah. Like she did everything. All I had to do was show with a camera. And what I found though, what was so surprising is I thought models were all about poses, mm-hmm. but Libby was so genuine that she would just give you these like really raw emotions, um, very authentically. And in a way that uh, what I saw, I remember this shoot for the first time we were up in the mountains and it was still shooting moments. And even though it was all contrived and set up, it was kind of fun to like, oh, I still have to be like really ready and anticipate and like have good composition and good lighting, just the stuff I was doing for photojournalism, but now I was capturing, you know, a setup moment and it was still kind of exciting to do that. I always thought like, oh, you know, setup photos are really awkward. I was uncomfortable. Mm. And so then me and Libby started testing and we would shoot like every couple months different concepts. Oh, let's try it, you know, up in the woods one. Let's do a, like a beach shoot. Let's do a like, mm-hmm. you know, a date night with a guy with another model. Um, and then her agency started like catching wind of like all these great photos that she was getting. So they started sending me their talent 
Um, and then I was like regularly shooting like all these, you know, um, commercial lifestyle models oh, for their portfolios and I would it. slowly build my like book. Yep. Um, and then I kind of got lost in a little bit. I was like, okay, you know, I'm learning how to work with talent now, but it's really not my, my exact scene. Right. I, you know, I, I can kill a happy salad, backlit salad eater, yep. you know, but I really don't want to be shooting that for, you know, for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started like getting, a, I got a consultant and I started working with like editors of my work and really refining like, okay, what's my brand? What am I really wanting to shoot? Um, and I'm still in process of that. I still, um, you know, I'll still shoot a happy salad eater any day. Yep. Um, but now it's like, I want that salad eater to be like from an organic farm and we're telling a story about, you know, something bigger or um, I still love kind of my journalism stories. So I recently shot like a, a guy who was a, a tree faller who cuts down like 100 foot trees for utility companies. And um, to me, that's like really interesting. It's like we have a lot of fires out here in California and, you know, uh, but it uses like a Husqvarna, you know, chainsaw. So it's totally useful for like advertising and branding because they want sort of, you know, real people stories sometimes. And so I've been shifting into that sort of trying to still tell, you know, real stories, real life. Um, yeah. And yeah, figuring it out. But um, so that's kind of where I've settled a little bit. And it's always like driving that brand forward. Um, I also discovered healthcare in the middle of all that. So um, there was a university that started like hiring me for like their publications and I started doing their marketing and their branding. Also a lot of colleges, universities were picking me up at the time. And that's when I first found my first ad agency. It was a agency that was working just with colleges. And, um, that sort of tipped me off to like creative directors and working with producers and a full team. And, um, and that sort of shifted my, um, my focus a little bit and helped me see that there was this huge world of advertising, um, and that was like where I got hooked. It's like, okay, that's where I want to go. Cause like, where, how are you getting your work out there? Like, how are you kind of getting some of your first commercial clients when you kind of started to get your feet wet in that world, I guess? Yeah, that was, um, you know, definitely was always working on the website. The consultant helped me with that. And, you know, was trying to do everything that everyone else is doing, like emails and promos. But it was not, you know, for a while, that was really referrals. I think, you know, I'd gotten in with these universities. And then when I got in with the, like their advertising agencies, that became like, you know, cash cow because they would refer me to their schools that they're working with. And that was really just kind of the word of mouth through there. Um, it's funny the one person that like got me in with one uh, healthcare was they literally Googled like storyteller photographer in the Bay area and hired me for their magazine. And then, you know, we just kept shooting those and then they liked my work. And so they got me in with the marketing um, and then with their advertising um, mm. yeah. And then from there, it's really, it's been a slow process. You know, I did workbook, um, and I've done some other like source book stuff. Um, have you found that recently? Be, have you found like workbook to be beneficial? It definitely helped right off the gate. You know, I think it's really anecdotal. Um, you know, I did the print book and I went, they have these pretty cool, like, uh, FaceTime portfolio reviews. I did those. So it was nice to like meet some like real art directors and creative directors that I didn't know mm-hmm. instead of just like sending them stuff. Um, I've not in the print book anymore, but I'm just on the online and I definitely every, every year I get a couple inquiries that have turned into jobs. So it's paid for itself, yeah. but I've known people that have like said, Oh, we've been in the print book for years and nothing. Right. So I think it really kind of depends. Um, the online to me is a no brainer. It's a great resource yeah. um, and, and not terribly expensive. Um, 
And then I've tried all these different other little, you know, platforms as well. And I'm still always doing research, asking that same question of people like, Oh, have you gotten work from it? Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's always a mystery. Um, and you mm-hmm. mentioned, you mentioned you work with a consultant, um, which we had talked about, like uh, last time I talked to you, um, for people listening, like a photo consultant, what do they do? Uh, what was your kind of goal of like working with one? Yeah, for sure. Uh, they, I think there's a lot of different consultants do a lot of different things and they all have their own specialties. Um, a friend of mine had recommended um, someone who's like, Hey, you should have you thought about a consultant, you know, cause I was trying to figure out where my place was and positioning. And um, I interviewed a few people and would chat with them. And I eventually talked to this woman named Bobby went and Bobby was um, an artist rep for Hunter Freeman. who was just an amazing photographer. And they were together for quite a long time. And she, um, and he worked for Apple and all these big companies. And, um, and then she was also a, uh, buyer for like a, a client aside as well. And so she had this kind of really diverse background of not only being an artist rep, but then also someone who bought, you know, artwork or hired photographers. And she was revolutionary to me in the sense that she was able to, she wanted to see like just everything I ever shot for the most part. And she did a deep dive, um, Initially, she was just going to do a portfolio edit or a website edit for me. But as we were like digging through, you know, questions would pop up for me. And, and I would ask Bob, like, oh, I've got this job coming up. You know, can you help me with this estimate? Or, um, and then she would just really, it's basically like grad school. We ended up doing like a year long or more sort of retainer relationship where I would just pair monthly. And she would, you know, as things would come up, she would just work with me on it. Um, but what the biggest gift she gave is she saw something in my work that I, I was not articulating well outwardly. And she saw that I was trying to like, you know, be a lifestyle photographer and set things up and try to produce moments. And, and sometimes they were contrived and she saw work that was really genuine and unique and special. And she was like, you're a spontaneous combustion guy. You go for these moments that are like unique and you can't force them. And instead you're, you set up a scene and you set up an environment for that to happen. And that was a couple of years ago that she told me that. And then we've been editing for, for those, those images and putting those images forward. And those are the kind of images that make me the most happy to shoot. Mm. So that's the kind of stuff, the work that I want to get. So that's the work that I put out there. And I took all the stuff that was like felt stiff or contrived or me trying to be a lifestyle photographer. Right. And we took all that out. Yeah. I never understood and, what that word means. Like lifestyle. It's always just been a mystery yeah. to me. Like, People put it out there. I honestly don't like understand it at all. Like it, it, that's the problem I've always had with like advertising photography. It's just like I don't know. It's just like it's a lot of bullshit. It's just like it's like I don't know. I don't live like that. Like there's just so much advertising. It's just like everyone's smiling and living like perfectly. Yeah. And I just I just right. I, yeah. I've never understood that. You know what I mean? Like I, in your mind, what is lifestyle photography? Yeah, I think it is such a hard question to to answer because it's so broad, right? There's like, even there's now like lifestyle wedding photographers, right? And everyone's a, you know, or authentic fashion or whatever there is. There's so many terms now. Unfortunately, I think, you know, when you have a busy creative director or photo editor, they need to put us in a box, right? I remember um, I'm, I'm friends with Sean Fenn and I was excited when you interviewed him for your show. And yeah. I remember asking him once, like, you know, Sean, when you show your book, what do you you know, what do you tell people about yourself? And he goes, I don't tell them anything. I let my work, you know, stand for itself and they're going to put me in a box. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's so, so true. And so, 
you know, because when somebody just goes on your website, they're going to automatically, okay, Alex Gagne, we're going to put him here, you know, editorial <laughs> portrait photographer, yeah. boom, whatever they think you are, even if you're trying to be something else. And I think the lifestyle category, you know, is something that people, they know we're not, I'm not a product guy, okay? And yeah. maybe I'm not a, a celebrity portrait, okay? Or I'm not just a portrait photographer. And so they might just group you in lifestyle. But I think within that, you can, I'm realizing that people are, um, for me, I want to be known for sort of real life lifestyle, yeah. and that could still be done on like a totally set up commercial shoot. Yep. I'm just going to try to drive for these more authentic moments, and even that word "authentic" is so overused. But yeah, yeah, um, that, that's what I like. I, think, I, I, I like at least me like like you said like your project with the I don't know you, you, with the guy with the chainsaw. It's more like there's like an honest approach to it. It's not too like stylized it's like it seems more like a real person rather than like this manufactured environment you know i think for me having spent years shooting newspaper work and journalism where you know we're not setting up anything and you're looking for that like real moment i learned to kind of like figure out like i have a, a litmus test now for like what's real right or even like when i'm shooting somebody in journalism, and I saw that they were uncomfortable yeah. or stiff because my presence was there. I, I figured out ways to like disarm them, or figure out ways to maybe shoot wider and step back, or learn. Sometimes you know to come in closer, or pull back, or yeah. you know approach people in different ways. And I think I started using that for my commercial shoots, where I was like, okay, this feels really fake, mm. or I'd start to pick up on someone's like, even as a model, like, all right, this person's not doing this movement naturally. You know, I need to like reassess and like give them a different prompt or like give them a different setup. And, um, oftentimes like when I have like kids and like faux parents, you know, like models, I'm often like in hair and makeup, I'm like telling them that the, the grownups, like you need to go hang out with those kids right now. Cause you're going to be picking them up yeah. in a little bit and playing with them and interacting with them. And it's got to feel real. And if you're like, you know, not totally comfortable with that kid and they're not comfortable with you, it's, it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, I think uh, that's kind of been my approach. And so maybe I, I try to, like, brand as, like, a real-life lifestyle photographer. I don't know if it's too long of a, a gallery name to put on there. Yeah. You know, if you can come up with a better a better phrase, I'm open for it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You it's, know, unfortunately, when people search on databases, they go, there's, like, if you go to workbook, there's just a lifestyle category. There's I know. Not like a, and there's probably a documentary category. But I'm not a documentary photographer at this point. I'm not just going in and shooting, yeah. you know, something for National Geographic. I'm like trying to produce advertising from it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's a, yeah, that's like a lot. A big majority of the advertising stuff is like the the lifestyle. The trying to yeah, I guess create like a I don't even, I don't even know. Advertising this confuses me, Steve. <laughs> it's confusing <laughs> me for years, man. Uh, it's just a it's, weird. It's a weird it's a world. Changing game too. <laughs> yeah. I think there. Everyone is like confused by it because there's so many different platforms and different ways. And and what I'm excited about right now, though, in advertising, there is a shift that you know the viewers have become so savvy, and they really don't want to be you know sell, sold in a fake image anymore. Yep. And what I'm excited about are brands and companies that are actually telling real stories yeah. for the, you know, they're like a small business loan. You get, you know, they'll go in and talk to a small business owner and they'll like yep. highlight this person who's like a machine shop owner or a sewing factory or, yep. you know, a small dairy farmer. And those are the stories. That's what I'm excited about right now. It's like, I want to find, those brands and advertising firms that want to tell those stories and I can come in 
with my journalistic approach, yep. capture these real life moments that maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm popping a light in the corner or maybe I'm like telling them, Hey, can you wear this flannel shirt instead of that one? Or, yeah. you know, can we like put a little, clean up the trash can, put, 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 put a little sauce on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Versus a pure documentary photographer, you know, wouldn't be altering the scene. Yeah. You know, I want to kind of alter the scene a little bit to just clean it up for advertising, but then really tell an authentic story that's got grit to it because what happens in there is there's unique things that you just can't muster up like i'm not a conceptual photographer i can't close my eyes and like think of those those crazy image images that some photographers do you know like david la chapelle or um like i I don't operate that way i have to like show up look at this scene you know have a shot list in mind but then like like, okay i want to let this subject really unfold and figure out you know, especially working with kids, they just come up with the craziest things sometimes. And I don't want to tell a kid to do something, you know, that's not authentic to them, you know? Mm. And, and do you feel like, like uh, when you start getting into commercial world and you're, you're trying to make money from it, is it like important to have a niche? Um, like what, I guess we kind of talked about what you do, like, but looking at your website, you do a, a few things like, uh, you do like healthcare, education, um, some other like business stuff, like how, how important is like the, like, I guess the, um, uh, having a niche, is that something you, you think about a yeah. lot or what do you think? You know, I've been listening to Heather Elder's podcast a lot about the art producer world and following a lot of her photographers and even listening to the people you've been interviewing. And it seems to be now like, genres and categories are important, but I think more important are, is the, the branding that you're associating yourself with. Like, um, I, I want to have clients like think of me for someone who's good at human connection and for intimacy and, and, um, like having, um, you know, these real moments come out of our subjects, right. And the storytelling and, and that can be applied to any genre, right. Um, I'm not probably not gonna get hired for a fashion, you know, shoot, um, because of that, or I'm not going to shoot food. Right. But I could shoot a restaurant or, you know, or a chef because that's humanity, right? That's the human element there. Um, I will say though, that was what has helped me over the last year, especially getting started was I did kind of find these kind of by chance was the higher education for colleges, universities, and for healthcare. Um, and, you know, I have those two galleries still on my side because they became sort of like, sort of stood out in those categories because there weren't a lot of people shooting it in the way that I was doing it, but these really authentic ways elevated with the commercial advertising style. Um, and so that really was e- easy for me to like get more work and stay in that category. And then I've been able to now experiment pushing outside of that shooting, this industrial stuff and mm-hmm. shooting farming. I did a project on Alaska fishing and, um, you know, this tree cutter and, um, and I have other ideas that I'm sort of, you know, always bouncing around because I want to get more clients in those worlds. Um, but the healthcare and the higher ed have been this great staple bread and butter mm-hmm. to sort of allow me. And I still really enjoy shooting those. And now I've just been continuing to evolve those projects now with, um, you know, I now don't shoot with strobes anymore. I've all gone to continuous lighting and I can make it feel more like a movie set that's uh, really realistic and not sort of staged and lit and, yeah. adding motion components to it and bringing in DPs to like help me shoot motion. And I can just seamlessly flow now between stills and video. Um, and then I'm always just driving the personal work and looking for those clients that are um, outside of those content areas 
just because I'm really fascinated by, um, you know, like uh, beekeeping and, you know, organic farming and like people who use tractors and mach- big machines, you know, like I'm yeah. just, as a journalist, I just still, I'm really interested in like uh, the parts of the, our, our culture and society that we don't get to see on a normal basis, you know. Yeah. And like with, with advertising, you know, I think a lot of people like getting your foot in the door in that world is very difficult. It seems like, at least in my experience, if you're not shooting uh, big campaigns, they don't even really want to look at you because they just don't think you have the experience. At least that's my perception. A lot of times, um, what is your experience kind of getting your foot into that world? Um, has it been has it been hard? Has it been easy? Uh, like, what advice would you give to people listening that are trying to get into the advertising world and shoot some of those bigger production jobs, you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's certainly been a slow process. I remember a couple years ago, I was like, oh, I should, you know, call up some big photographers and ask them how they, um, you know, got successful, which is kind of like <laughs> what you've been doing. And I'm sure you've been finding, like, there's no silver bullet, right? And there's mm-hmm. so many different paths. Um I think it does come down, the people that I admire the most and the ones that are ironically are the most successful have a personal vision, right? They're not just emulating, they're going out and doing, you know, their own thing and shooting stuff that inspires them. And then that work is how they're getting a foot in the door. So it's uh, another comment that I had that I gained and learned from Sean, Sean Fenn as well. He, I asked him, he shot some really cool, um, project a while back and I was like why did you shoot that are you trying to like get into that industry and he was like no I just thought this was really cool and I wanted to shoot it yeah and I'm just gonna like send it out and that's been his mo for a long time he's just like passionate about these things and he goes out and shoots it creates an awesome promo with a kick-ass designer and then like puts the work out and he puts a lot of it out right Mm -hmm. and um and it's consistent, right? And so what I've been finding, the same thing is true. Like you do some great personal work or you go extra or beyond for some commercial shoot, you create a promo, you do some email marketing, you do Instagram, you do portfolio reviews, you know, um, a couple, yeah. about a year or two ago, um, I shot a personal piece, which I think you probably like and saw was the Oakland beers, this baseball, yeah. Motley Crue baseball team I photographed. And, um, I, uh, you kind of stumbled upon it. My roommate was on this team and he like came home one day and was like, Oh yeah, I just joined this baseball team called the Oakland beers. And I was like, what? Okay. I got it. First off it's Oakland and it's your team name's called the beers. All right. <laughs> Not bears, but beers. Yeah. And I show up and these guys are like all these former punk rockers and like band musicians and artists. And um, they were in this league of like nine teams and they played like every weekend and had these tournaments and trophies and referees and, um, I started showing up to this stuff and building relationships, doing my journalist thing, you know, and getting to know these guys and get recording their stories. And um, I had this idea to make this like kind of magazine about it. And I connected with a friend of mine who was a former creative director for Wine and Kennedy. And he helped me concept this like tabloid newspaper. And I had it printed in the UK and it was like 11 by 14. It was huge. And then I like made a beer koozie and like had a t-shirt done and <laughs> did all the things you see on like the Rob Haggard, a photo folio <laughs> promos, right? I went, I went big with it, yeah. made a stamp for it. And, um, and then I was so proud of this thing. And I was so confident in the work, um, that I literally drove to LA and like hand delivered it to, <laughs> you know, probably a dozen or so agencies. Sometimes I would, I try to make appointments with everybody, but I wouldn't hear back. Sometimes I would just show up. Yeah. Um, and I, and I remember walking into, sometimes I got lucky and they were like, you know, available. Sometimes they, you know, brought in a whole bunch of other people. Sometimes I like, 
got no love and they were like, just leave it at the door. Yep. Um, at one point I remember going on a, one of the agency's websites and I looked at all the, the, the staff bios and I saw their profile photos and um, I remember um, walking to this one place and the, the art buyer wasn't there and the receptionist says, oh, no, she's not there. And I saw this, this guy walk by and I looked at him and was like, oh, that looks just like the creative director I saw. And I like just, you know, kind of shouted out his name and he turned around and he looked and I'm like, hey, I'm Steve. I emailed you last week. Can I show you some work? And he was like, oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> just pulled me back and pulled in a couple of the creative directors. And I like was able to show him the beers piece because I knew the work was good. I was like, yep. you guys are going to want to see this. You know, if it was some like crappy postcard, you know, I was like, I'm not going to do that. Yep. Um, and then ironically, I did the same thing in San Francisco. And there's something about your hometown. And we've talked about this a little bit. Maybe is like getting meetings in your own t- town is a little tough. Cause I think when I was in LA, I was like, Hey, I'm going to be here for a week. Are you available for these dates? Yeah. And that seemed to be a little bit easier for people to, you know, kind of make those meetings. Yeah. Also, I think San Francisco is just, people are just, just uh, traffic sucks. There's like no parking. The prices for everything is really expensive. <laughs> yeah. People are just like really busy out here hustling. Yeah. Um, but I got a few meetings out here too. So it was, uh, it was still worth shopping it around, you know? Mm. No, that's, that's interesting. And, yeah, and who knows, some work maybe came from that, you know, because I got on their radar, and then when I sent them the next promo or the next email, yeah, you know, you kind of are just planting seeds, and, um, yeah, you know, you just never know where the work com- comes from. Yeah, it's a multitude of things, and it's just kind of continually hacking at it. Um, and working as, like, a freelance photographer, as you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. There's times where you're busy, times where you're not. Like, how, how do you kind of uh, deal with those ups and downs of being a freelance mm. photographer? Because it can get tough sometimes. But how, how do you how do you stay sane, Steve? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I, man, I'm, I'm, yeah, right in there, right in the moment sometimes. Now that I've been, like, pushing my brand, I've been, you know, learning to say no to a lot of small projects. Um, and trying to really chase after the work that I want to get. Um, and that's really been helpful, but it's created more space, right? And that space in my schedule has been, like you said, sometimes it's a downtime. It's like, what do you do with that? And, um, you know, I have an office space that I go to. Literally, it's like five minutes from my house. Yep. It's a shared studio. And that's been really helpful to have, like, a, a dedicated space. that I go out, I'm like, I'm going to work, honey. Yep. You know, and I try to get there by a certain time. And having a real routine now is like really, really helpful. Um, that kind of gives me structure in it. You know, I'm methodically working on my marketing list and working on uh, mm-hmm. reaching out to old former clients. Yeah. Um, and then developing, I think the personal project really is like what saves those times, right? Because that's the whole point of being a freelancer. It's like, we're not here. We're not, we didn't get in this business to do work for other people all the time. We did this because we wanted to like mm-hmm. create imagery that excites us. And I keep asking, I always ask myself, even this morning, I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Right. And it's to continue to do the work that we want to do. And hopefully that work aligns, you know, with the work you're doing for your clients. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been the highest priority for me now is like, okay, I need to shoot the stuff that I want to shoot, you know, for clients. And I would, and then the beauty is that when I'm on set for those clients, I'm like, what, you're paying me to shoot the stuff that I love? This is great. Yeah. You know, and, and that's kind of the lofty goal. And for me also to do work that, like, has some impact and meaning. I think I've gravitated towards healthcare and education and kind of things that deal with our environment and, you know, kind of the working world. It's like I, I want people to see um, these things that are important and they, they have value and 
I want to align myself with brands and agencies and companies that are like doing work for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is important and I want to communicate that. And so that's kind of why I think it's helpful to like have that in your mind, even at those moments where you're like, Oh, why am I doing this? No one's hiring me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you need to remind yourself of like why you got into the game. And sometimes that's just, you made a connection with the other day I walked down the street and there was like this, little antique shop and there was this like old you know rock and roll dude playing guitar in the window it was just like the way i punched the window out this guy was sitting in there and i was like who is this guy this is so crazy an american flag behind him and (laughs) you know big jerry garcia beard you know and he's like rocking out on this electric guitar yeah um and i just couldn't help but like want to know this guy's story you know and like i can it just for me it was a small moment of like connecting with people in my neighborhood Mm. it turns out he used to play with like john lee hooker and he's been like you know playing since like the the 50s 60s you know and um you know that wasn't that picture wasn't saving the world but it probably meant something to him and it, it was interesting to me and mm. um you know it adds value and that's at the end of the day like that's what still it drives me but if i stayed at home all day long and didn't get out you know i'd probably be totally depressed you know and yeah for sure um um, and you said one thing I, I found interesting, like, like saying no to jobs, like, how do you know when to say no to jobs? Is, is it this like a, is it just like a money thing? Is it like a creative thing? Um, like, how do you, how do you kind of handle those situations? Yeah. And it's not so much always like saying directly. No, I did kind of set up some rules for myself. So like, um, even though like early on, like I, I might've done like some event photography for, for a company and sometimes that leads to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard. I got advice early on that like, once you do something for somebody, they kind of get, you get known for that yep. and they'll hire you more for that. And, um, you know, so I, I try to say, I made some rules, you know, like I'm not going to do a job without an assistant because I just, it's really difficult. It's like if the budget's not there and it's going to be, you know, it's going to hurt my body carrying all this stuff. I'm going to be stressed out trying to like set this stuff up. Yep. Like granted editorial assignments come along. There's not always room for that. Yep. Uh, but you know, I still try to like, we'll try to find somebody, mm-hmm. you know, and like get, a, get an editorial rate if I can and um, bring someone along just because I like to work as a team. And, yep. and when I show people my portfolio, I'm like, well, this work happened because, of the team that I had, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of jobs, I'm always wanting a Digitech alongside so we can see the images. I, I, you know, having someone look over my shoulder at my camera is just awkward and uncomfortable and it takes me away from the subject. Yep. So I want to be able to like have a creative director with the workstation. So a lot of times those are kind of the bars that I want the job to at least hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's times though that jobs are just really cool and interesting and I'm going to like, oh yeah, I, I have to shoot that and we'll make it work, right? And so it's not just about, you know, getting the fees um, for that. Um, but I think having some, it really helped me to have like kind of some rules of like, this is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I'm not comfortable with. And you feel better about yourself in the day when, you know, you're like, this is the kind of work that I want to do. And by saying no to either, you know, a rate that's um, too low, it's, that can really help shape your, um, kind of workflow and interesting my consultant what bobby also told me years ago was just like i would tell her about some jobs that would come up she goes you can't afford to take that low paying job and i'm like what are you talking about i'm not working on wednesday shouldn't i be shooting and what she taught me was that like when you go and first off you know you're taking this email then you do a call with them you set up a schedule you like figure out their shot list you prep all your gear you pack your car you drive there you do the job you come back you download you edit you process you get their feedback do the invoicing, 
and you know, even if it's just like two hour job and it was seemed to be, you know, half day, you've just spent all this, like three days doing this job, which I could have been marketing. I could have been working on personal projects. I could have been doing, you know, promo uh, work and you do a series of those small jobs. And it's like, all you start doing are these little things that aren't in the wheelhouse. Now, if it's the kind of content you want, great. That's perfect still for, I think for driving your, your work. But I was realizing these small things that weren't the kind of work that I wanted to get was taken away from the, the vision I wanted it to go after. Um, and yeah, it gets a little nervous cause you're like, Oh, I haven't shot for two weeks. Yep. But then all of a sudden you get these like bigger campaigns because that's the kind of the energy and the connections I'm, and people can re- start referring you for that. You know, if you start shooting your friends, families and kids, what are they going to do? They're going to tell their other friends and families like, Oh, you should hire this guy to shoot their family. You know? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you tell them like, no, I don't shoot families, yep. you know, then they go, well, aren't you a photographer? And then you go, well, yeah. And they go, well, what kind of photography do you do? You do? And then you tell them like, Oh, I do commercial advertising for brands and, you know, uh, for companies. And mm-hmm. then they go, Oh, you know, I know someone who works for, you yeah. know, this company and then I know someone who works this advertising agency and then they start referring you yep. and they put in their mind what you do. Um, and then it starts this chain reaction, you know, but you just got to get past that initial, like, you know, Oh, I'm going to say no to this job and not make, you know, a thousand dollars this day. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you got to do take a, you have to be able to take a risk if you want some reward on the other end. I think. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, and I noticed on your Instagram, you're part of the APA, which I believe stands for, is it American Photography Association? Is that what it stands for? You know, you're going to call me out on that one. I'm going to have to look it up. Um, uh, I think it's American Photographic Artist. All right, cool. Either way, uh, I, I was yeah. just saying, like, you're part of this group. I was curious, like... Um, I've never been a part of one of these groups. I know there's a lot of different ones where like photographers meet and there's different events. Um, like what has been your takeaway from being a part of, I guess, APA? Yeah, no, it's interesting when, um, so one of my photojournalism, um, friends that we went to the state together, Natter Corey, he, um, he left newspapers before me and started doing commercial work. Or actually I was teaching while he shifted over to commercial work. And so when I decided to do commercial work, I went to him and I was like, Matter, you know, how do I do this? What do I, how do I become a commercial photographer? And I swear the first thing out of his mouth was like, oh, you should join the APA and come to one of our events. Yeah. And that was a bunch of years ago. And I remember just, they were free. Yeah, some of them were free, some were paid. And I started, was now all of a sudden in a room full of like 30 other commercial photographers and 10 assistants, and five digitechs and, you know, a few producers and, um, I started going to these events and the topics were sometimes on like how to do estimating and bidding or how to work with a creative team or what's a good print portfolio. And then they would have an annual up here. We do an annual um, portfolio review they host and we do like a something personal event where people submit personal work and all these art buyers and uh, creative directors judge it. And we have a big gallery and it's a big holiday party. Um, and then about a year ago I was invited with matter to join the board and um, now I sit on this board, we meet monthly, and it's been great to collaborate with other of my colleagues. And then we come up with ideas every, every month now. We have a, an event that we do um, that brings in different people. Sometimes it's just a free-flowing discussion. We actually had Heather Elder came to one of our events and talked about um, you know, branding and um, kind of how to put yourself in the market. 
Um, next week, we're doing one on um, integrating motion on, on a still set. And that's just been a great way. It's how I found like all my assistants and crew. Um, and we've been able to like refer stuff to each other. There's a bunch of resources online. We get discounts on our, like the re- local rental house and like copyright information. And yeah. they're always advocating for our, um, you know, our rights as photographers. And, and it's a pretty, there's like lots of different levels um, to join at. And you can put your portfolio on their website. Yeah. So it's been um, really helpful. And each city, you know, has a big city. I, yeah, I'm not quite sure exactly where you are, um, if there's one super close, but I know New York definitely has one. Chicago definitely has one. Yeah. There might be one in Boston. Yeah, I think um, so. There's a bunch of different other ones, but similar stuff. But, yeah, it's smart. You're, you're just a part of the community and talking to the people that work in your industry. Um, uh, and, like, with the portfolio reviews, have you done other portfolio reviews besides the APA? Because I know there's, like, a lot of different ones. There's, like... Yep. NYC Photo Works is a big one. Then there's like the Santa mm-hmm. Santa Fe. Uh, there's a bunch of different That's ones. Right, right. Have you found those to be beneficial to getting work, or what's been your experience? Yeah, definitely. I think you know part of who I am and my brand is connecting right with people, and like it makes total sense to like meet people in person as much as I possibly can. And um, and even though it's super hard to do all those that work to get meetings on my own, which I still sort of do. And I'm totally using your, your trick now of uh, putting in the date for the subject line. Um, <laughs> hey, don't let that out the way, bag, man. That was a secret. Oh, that was a freebie, bro. <laughs> now on the internet. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> just, just edit that out. Yeah. Um, no, but uh, I found that I recently did this this year. I did the, uh, NYC PhotoWorks does like, like a, they partner with Boulevard artists and they do one in LA and in San Francisco. So I signed up for both of those this year and they were great. I mean, you have to like do your research ahead of time. Um, and something they reminded me of, you know, it's not necessarily, um, who they're working for, but who they are as an individual is more important. Cause so they might be with a brand or company that maybe doesn't hire, um, the exact work that you do, but still connecting with them is really helpful mm-hmm. because they might move on in three months or they might know someone else. And so initially I was like, bum, I didn't get exactly who I wanted. Yeah. But for the most part, I got like 80% of like my reviewers that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And that just really helped. Like also just my pitch, right? Like sitting down in front of these folks and showing them work. And I just got some really great feedback um, that I didn't think I was going to get. I remember one person was like, you know, hey, uh, you know, some of this work feels really safe. You know, I'm not going to remember you for this stuff. I know you've gotten work from it, mm-hmm. but it's safe work. But like, then she showed me like two or three pictures, of, like in a different section. She's like, ah, but this I'm going to remember, mm-hmm. right? And then that kind of when a light bulb went on, it's like, oh man, yeah, I have that portfolio. When it hits the ground, it's got to just hit them with like the stuff that you are so passionate about, so excited for. Um, it's the kind of work you want to get. And if that gets their interest, then they can go to your site and like see the commissioned work yeah. and the more broader stuff that you can do. Um, so that was really what was helpful. And then just having like names and faces, I started seeing like some of the same folks at these portfolio reviews. Even if I didn't sign up with them, I just saw them in the room and I would say hi to them again. Um, and that was a great way for me to like really start a network mm-hmm. of you know art buyers and creative directors. And I realized they started knowing each other. And it just became like, oh, okay, I see. It's like it doesn't feel as like inauthentic now when you like send someone a promo. You're like, you just know this person. You're like, hey, here's my latest work, and yeah. you know, love to connect with you. Yeah. Or, or I started genuinely following them and like seeing the work that they do. Some of them are photographers too, and mm-hmm. um, are artists. And um, 
you don't know that until you like meet these people. And um, I said, well, you know, met one guy who was like really into motorcycle. I was like, oh, me too. And so we can actually like have a real, mm-hmm. you know, friendly conversation, not just like, oh, I want you to hire me, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. It's like, uh, it's just, I look at it like I've always looked at the photography business or whatever you want to call it is obviously like you're a creative person, but at the end of the day, you're, you're selling a product or service the same way like someone who sells insurance or someone who sells cars. And it's just a lot of like pounding on a lot of doors, uh, this pound that pavement. And that's always how I kind of looked at it, you know? And it really does become, you are selling yourself, right? There's so many good photographers now that do such good work, right? What's going to set us all apart? Well, it's that human interaction, right? That the connection they have. And when you're on a set for 10, 12 hours with, with a team, like who do they want to, they want to work with someone they like, you mm-hmm. know? And if you don't have that rapport and what I've learned that you've got to make that connection, like right from the ground up, they're seeing your website, they're seeing your Instagram, they're seeing your social media, and then they meet you or you have like that creative call or like when you get that bid request in, I always try to get people on the phone, yeah. any kind of like bid request because Connection. I want to connect with them. I want to understand who they are, what they're looking for, read their, you know, mannerisms a little bit, you know, and kind of uh, have them understand me because maybe I'm not the right fit and we need to use that conversation to figure that out on the phone um, or I can figure out what they might, how I might need to steer the bid and estimate um, or what they're really looking for and what I can provide for them and be of service. And it can't do that if it's just impersonal and, you know, in an email. Mm-hmm. Um, and better yet, if I've met them somewhere else, now there's already this layer um, of, of connection that's happening. And so, um, yeah, for sure. You know, I think that's, that's, and that's intimidating though, because there's so many, you know, you just feel like a total tool, but you got to start somewhere, right? When you're reaching <laughs> out to these folks and, yeah. um, but you know, there's a lot of people for every, you know, five people you reach out to one person's maybe annoyed, but the other four, you know, maybe yeah. didn't even get it. And the one person that did, they're, they're happy to hear from you. So yeah. you try not to be annoying. And you try like, not to be too, that, and that know, one, and that one person, that one person that's annoyed with you, whatever they, I don't want to work with that person anyways. It's on to the next one. You know what right. I mean? Uh, probably not a good fit. Right? It's a, it's yeah, a, it's, it's a two, uh, it's a two way street, Steve. Uh, you exactly. Know I mean? Exactly. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I will say though, I got some great advice from someone once. Um, and they were talking about like squirrels and trees, right? Like um, if a squirrel goes up to a tree or whatever it is and looking for their acorns and nuts and like the tree doesn't have it, the squirrel doesn't like fret and like flip out and get all like yeah, emo yeah. on the tree, right? First. What does the squirrel do? It just goes to another tree. You know, it's just like yeah. it moves on, right? Yeah, and I think, yeah, yeah. But the squirrel has to hit up the trees, right? If we're not hitting up the trees, we're yeah. not going to know if they've got any nuts. Yeah, you got to be, know? you got to be, um, you got to be tough. You got, that's like the name of this game is this rejection, rejection, rejection. And then occasionally, <laughs> occasionally you get, you get a lead there and then it's like, then it's good. Then you're on top of the mountain. But that's at least been in my experience. It's just, after a while, I don't know about you, but you just kind of get used to that rejection. It's just like, all right, this is, uh, this is the name of the game on to the next one. And then you get on the Alex Gagne show, and you know you've made it. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um, what, one project I actually really enjoyed on your website, which was really cool, it was photos and video. It was called The Repairman. Um, I was kind of curious like how that project came together. It was a really interesting story about a camera repair guy. Um, but, yeah, how did that kind of all come together? Yeah, so um, – Back in the day, you know, I had a, a Hasselblad and a Leica and still do. And, mm-hmm. and, and I don't even know how I found this guy, but I knew that this guy repaired those kinds of cameras. 
And um, this was 10 years plus years ago. I started bringing this guy um, my, uh, my gear and it was great. He's this old German guy and he like literally like answered an ad from a camera shop, a German camera shop in San Francisco um, when he was a young man and came over and, you know, he started doing camera repair and then he had his own business. And um, when I started, when I did my little project, he was now just working on Saturdays only um, in this basement from like, you know, nine to 12. Um, and just because he loved doing it. And I think I really love to be around people who love to do what they do. And I remember like bringing up my cameras every time and I'm like, ah, oh, this would be such a cool photo. And like, it took me like a bunch of times to realize this. And then, you know, one day I was like, Hey, really, could I come back and, you know, take some pictures of you and maybe do an interview? Yeah. Um, and he was like, no big deal. He's like, sure. And, <laughs> and so I just kind of one man band it with my, you know, uh, with my, my still cameras. And, um, I wish I kind of brought a crew, but he was, you know, there was a reason why he was by himself in the basement of a camera store. He didn't really want to like be bothered. Cause I remember at a certain point in the interview, um, I was asking a few more questions and he was like, you know, I think that's, that's maybe good. I'm good. <laughs> you know, he like kind of wrapped it up for me and I was like, okay, we'll let you go back to work. And I shot a bit more B-roll and, um, yeah, I just loved the way he worked and he was just so detailed with, he just knew all the cameras and um, he worked, wouldn't work on anything like super electronic, yeah. Um, but all the mechanical cameras. And then that shop closed and I actually need to track him down because I actually have a camera too that I'm going look at still. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, was, yeah, that was... Uh, it, it was a cool mm-hmm. project. And then it's like the video component is like the motion stuff that's more work you're doing that lately. Is it something you enjoy? Yeah, the motion stuff has been, been great. I've certainly um, been getting like requests from a lot of jobs now they want to add b-roll they want to add b-roll and um a couple years ago i got to direct a a, a sort of a commercial tv spot um it was both stills and video and so i handled the whole production and you know brought in a dp and his you know an ac and we started working with the gaffer and their whole team and we kind of because i've been on the other side where i'm just a still photographer on a motion set and that's really challenging because there's so it's such a demand for the video team in those environments that stills kind of gets the shorter in the stick but when you're the director and you're calling the shots, it's great. Then I know how much time I can give the DP and their and the, the motion team, and and it's I love to direct, and so it's great that I got a little handheld monitor and I'm like right next to the guy, and we're like saying action, and I'm working with the talent. Um, it, it's I'm still trying to figure out where the next step is because I do miss being behind a viewfinder. Yeah. Uh, but these like red cameras and all the stuff, they're just so big. It's like I don't know if I want to carry such a big thing, but. Um, you know, I found that if you can find a great DP who can sync up with you, um, it's really, really fun. And you just can come up with uh, just so much more content. And now with a good production team, you know, it's, it's still challenging. You can't get as much, but, you know, we try to set up the schedule. And now that I'm using continuous lighting, we can, don't even have to set up the light any differently. Um, and we can kind of jump back and forth really quickly. And, um, yeah, it's been, now I'm kind of hooked on, especially shooting with these, red cameras are you know Aries and, and yep. uh, cinema lenses it's just beautiful footage and so i'm trying to figure out a way to do a smaller setup that i can kind of um do myself for personal work or um dude get you know, the i, I just i just i just shot a job on the panasonic gh5 that camera is amazing it's like a 1500 hundred dollar camera but it's ridiculous 
and that yeah and even with my sony's i've been told that you know there's a lot of great like that project i did with the repairman was on my sony yeah um and so there's a lot of potential for a lot of other formats i think it's whatever is most appropriate for the job but um um yeah no it's definitely the the future with that and um yeah i think years ago they kept telling us photographers you got to shoot video you got to shoot video and and video got really really sophisticated really fast once the digital world kind of took over with it and now it's like yeah photographers should know about video but really you just need to know enough to hire a great team to work with you yeah um and the dps that are out there are just incredible and you know they've got the, the, their own assistants and assistant cameras that do all the focusing i'm like i want someone to focus for me yeah, you yeah. know and handle all that and um you know you got these remote monitors and pits making sure the footage looks good and yeah, um yeah, yeah it's a great time for producing yeah. yeah everyone's got their role um and i guess to kind of wrap up like you've been doing this for a while like in the industry that's so competitive like what kind of keeps you going like what do you enjoy about it i guess you know it can happen from those little moments like i said of like walking down the street and like meeting some cool subject and taking their picture or you know like yesterday i like put in a bid that we were going to do the call yesterday and a bid came in and you know, it's just really fun connecting with, with this agency. And like, I love kind of like pulling together like treatments and, and the concepts and like figuring out how to make a budget work. Those things, you know, when they, when they happen, um, are really, really fun and exciting and pulling together an idea together. Um, and then just kind of having these, you know, ideas for personal work. I think when those things strike, um, and I can work on it, um, you know, get myself to do it, that always drives me a little bit further, you know, it's like, okay, I just finished that. What's the next one, you know? And, um, and then the people you meet along the way, I think I've really developed a great crew. Um, that really, really helps. You can have a challenging job, but if you've got a great crew to work with, that makes all the difference. Um, and you can have a great job with really not so great crew and it can like really be uncomfortable. And, um, so to me, it's like, I love people. So it's like, if it's just my assistant or a stylist or a producer, you know, that can make my day, you know, just working with great people or, or, or clients, you know, that are really, have a lot of regular and repeat clients. And it's like, you're seeing a friend again, you know, like, Oh, Hey, great to see you. You know, look, I know what you want for this job. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Um, and that really does help, you know, and then this kind of stuff, I really love to like meet other photographers. I love the younger photographers that need help. I love giving, you know, not that I know that much more than the next guy, but any information, I think that teacher in me still loves to share information. Yeah. I think a lot of older school photographers hoard information, mm-hmm. and I think it's really good to just, that's why these podcasts are great, because it's like, we should just be sharing and elevate, you know, that's what part of APA is doing. We're trying to just elevate everybody. You know, let's talk about uses. Just talk about rates. Let's, you know, talk about best practices on set and um, get everyone to, you know, um, step up their game and look out for each other. Yeah, man. Photography's fun, man. It is. At the end of the day, it's funny. One last anecdote. When I was a teacher, I remember getting all stressed out about the class and telling them to do all these things. And, you know, I was just very particular about the way we ran things because we had so many students and so many cameras and lights. And, and, you know, they used to call me Mr. B. And uh, I remember this, this, like, he was one of the basketball kids and um, this, this, he was an athlete, you know. So he's, this whole thing was, like, you know, having fun. He was like, Mr. B, hey, Photos supposed to be fun. <laughs> and I was like, what? What do you mean? Photography is fun. <laughs> you know, I'm all stressed out. And it just kind of like checked me for a little bit. You know, I still remember this kid. And I was like, 
you know, you're totally right, Brian. It's all about having fun. And I need to remember that every day I come in here. And so, yeah, yeah, I think with that, it's like, yeah, let's not stress so much, you know, let's just have fun with this. This is like, we're so fortunate to be able to like do this for a living. Mm -hmm. And every time I get a call for a job, it's like, ah, this is great. I'm getting, you know, paid to take pictures. Like that was another bit of advice I got from a newspaper photo editor. Anytime I'd complain, he's like, you're getting paid to work on your portfolio, you know? And I was like, yeah, man, that's good advice, you know? And I think at least for me, a lot of the photographers I really respect, you can see in their work that they really love it. It's not just like, Mm -hmm. obviously it's a business in some regards for sure, but then you can tell it's just like it's their life. It's it. This comes through in the work. So I think if, in my mind, I've I've always just tried to, like, just have fun with it. You know. It has to. If it's if you're not driven from inside, it's not worth doing. I think mm-hmm. the day it becomes that I have to do this work, I, then then I know it's time to quit. Like, and there's days where you do have to like push yourself. Of course, like for sure. In those moments where you're doing your marketing or like yeah. working on your research and your mailers, like yeah, that's you know you have to just grind through some of that um but uh it's 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 work definitely work but once you're on set and shooting like that's got to be fun you know yeah um well uh steve man it's been a pleasure talking to you i'm glad we connected um but i guess for people listening like where's the best place for them to check out your work yeah well babblejack.com which is crazy way to spell but um it's B-A-B-U-L-J-A-K, but I've ironically also registered the phonetics of it, so Babble Jack, like a baby babbling. Oh, wow. Like B-A-B-B-L-E-J-A-C-K, Damn. and then I like the Tower of Babel, B-A-B-E-L-J-A-C-K, <laughs> yeah. and then I've registered all these different versions because even my best friends don't know how to spell my last name sometimes. So, um, But yeah, I'm on Instagram that way, and uh, my website um, has all, all my work. So. Yeah, I'll link it. Yeah. People can go check it out, and uh, thanks so much. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I actually want to tell you about a new image transfer tool I've been using lately called PickDrop. PickDrop's a really great tool for whenever you need to send off your files to your clients or whoever you're working with. You can create private galleries, different folders for whatever assignments you're working on. And your clients can actually write notes on the photos you sent to them and rate them. It's just a really easy way to organize all your files in one spot. Um, for me, I've been using it for a few months now. It's just really kind of helped me organize myself and kind of streamline my workflow. Um, for years, I was using like Dropbox and WeTransfer and things like that. Well, PickDrop is actually designed by photographers, so they really understand what photographers need. Um, so, so, so I can't say enough about it. And actually, with today's podcast, if you enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER, when you sign up at PickDrop.com, you're going to get three months free of the PickDrop image transfer tool. So definitely go check it out and let me know what you guys think. And remember to enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER when you sign up at PickDrop.com, and you'll get three months free. And also, I just have to give a big thank you to our guest, Steve Babblejack. Um, real pleasure talking to him. Um, it was kind of cool connecting. I connected with him. Um, he was a listener of the podcast and kind of started talking to him. So it's always just kind of interesting uh, meeting all these different people through the podcast. And he has a real passion for what he does and is always shooting interesting projects. So definitely go check out Steve's work at babblejack.com. That's B-A-B-U-J. Actually, no, it's a B-A-B-U-L-J-A-K. Uh, again, his website is B-A-B-U-L-J-A-K. 
L-J-A-K.com, as well as his Instagram at B-A-B-U-L-J-A-K, babblejack.com. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, as well as my website, alexgagnephoto.com, and on my Instagram, at alexgagnephoto. Thanks so much for listening, and take care.